to some Formula One racing following the Dutch Grand Prix overnight. Joining us down the line to break it all down is FIA accredited journalist and host of the F1 Strategy Report, Michael Laminato. G'day, Michael. Hello, mate. Good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here with us. Now, um, before we do get into Max Verstappen and his dominance once again, uh, Fernando Alonso, very good. Pierre Gasly onto the podium. Uh, we have to start with Daniel Ricciardo because he missed out on this Grand Prix due to that broken hand. He suffered uh, in the build-up to the race, a big crash. Um, what, what's the latest on Daniel Ricciardo, firstly? Well, the latest is that today, or last night, I suppose, in Europe, he had surgery in Spain to uh, repair the broken uh, metacarpal bone, I think it is, in his hand, in his left hand. So that's sort of the yeah, bone's directly in the middle of your hand, if you're looking at your hand now. Uh, it's an undefined period uh, out of the he's going to have recovering from this. A normal person could take a couple of months to get back not only full mobility but strength and comfort with that hand. Uh, Christian Horner, Red Bull Racing team principal, denoted that uh, in motorsport, particularly in MotoGP, where we do tend to see these kinds of injuries more than in Formula 1, riders have often come back shockingly quickly, um, sometimes only a matter of weeks when that should really be possible. And Daniel has been operated on by uh, one a, a clinic that uh, features one of MotoGP's highest profile uh, limb doctors, Dr. Xavier Mir. So he's on track to make a faster recovery than you might think, but he won't be competing at this weekend's Italian Grand Prix. Singapore, a couple of weeks after that, may also be unlikely, if not just because it's one of the most physically demanding circuits on the calendar, quite a few corners and obviously the more you're moving your hands the less comfortable you're going to be maybe japan is what red bull is talking about for his comeback so that's three races in total he'll be missing not ideal considering he's only got a limited number of races to kind of justify being retained for next year he will get another chance in the cockpit sooner or later this season but for now it's it's difficult to say when it's going to be it's come at a bad time for him hasn't it it, it really couldn't be any worse yeah, it's frustrating because it felt like, obviously, he had a little bit of an opportunity to build some momentum before the mid-season break, had a lot to think about during the break as well in terms of his new car and environment, all that kind of thing. And while we saw, of course, relatively little of him in the Netherlands, he only really got one and a tiny bit extra practice sessions. But the team was sounding pretty optimistic about what they were seeing in those practice sessions in terms of his suitability for this circuit and all that kind of thing. But all signs were that things were going pretty well, as well as they can be at this point in time, which is what we want to see, because that probably would get him in the car again for next year, and then after that, you know, that Red Bull racing seat does open up, as we've talked about being the ultimate goal. Now that's been curtailed. Like I say, he will get another chance in the cockpit, but I think what the the twist on this is, is that in the background of all of this, it's Daniel competing for his seat, his teammate Yuki Sonoda competing for his seat, and the prime challenger is the guy who stepped into Daniel Seed. Liam Lawson, the New Zealand racing driver, he's been plying his trade in Japan, doing pretty well there. Red Bull rates him relatively highly, admittedly not so highly that he was automatically in the car this year, but he has been the reserve driver. He now has an opportunity to do kind of what Nick DeVries did last year with that one race he got in Italy and prove that actually he's worth a crack. And Helmer Marco, who is the guy who runs the driver program there, he does love a random good performance suddenly that's enough to convince him so Liam does have a I want to, I don't want to say completely an open goal but he has a pretty good opportunity to justify an F1 drive for next year so there's this extra angle here that if you're a Daniel Ricciardo fan I wouldn't say you should be nervous because like I said he will get a chance to prove himself again but it does just mix it all up a little bit do you think he could have avoided the crash what what, what did you make of the crash itself 
No, so it was just a clumsy sort of incident. It was Oscar Piastri who had gone off in front of him, and the timing of it was such that Daniel was already committed to entering that corner by the time he registered the crash had happened. The yellow flags that came out after he'd already passed that marshal post, it wasn't really a matter of him ignoring yellow flags either. And he said he essentially had two options. Piastri had crashed on what is fundamentally the racing line. He could either crash into Piastri or crash into the wall. And he chose what was the correct option, which was not to hit the other car, because car-on-car crashes always carry way more risk than car-into-barrier crashes. The barriers are designed to absorb impacts other cars are not. The, I, I don't want to say the mistake he made, because it wasn't a mistake. It was just the, the nature of it was holding onto the steering wheel, and that's what broke his hand ultimately. But weirdly enough, it's just the shape of that corner, because it's massive. It's almost like Indianapolis, much tighter and smaller, obviously, but you kind of can't steer into the barrier with holding onto the wheel, if that makes sense. If you let go of it, suddenly the car is going to move to where it wants to go. So, super unfortunate. It's almost not really anyone's mistake there that that's happened. And as a result, I got Daniel on the sidelines for an unspecified number of weeks. Speaking to Michael Laminato here on Sports Drive this afternoon. Michael, let's talk about Max Verstappen and his dominance in Formula One racing. Nine straight in terms of Grand Prix wins. That's an equal record. Uh, What did you make of this performance by Max Verstappen once again? This was another great weekend to just show that it is Max, not just the car that is doing the business. Of course, Sergio Perez was up there leading the race quite comfortably at one point and probably should have finished on the podium, but for a penalty late. But... He, was, he did not have the composure that Max Verstappen did. In fact, it was pretty competitive behind Max, including with Sergio Perez for much of the race. But Max took everything thrown at him with just absolute cool demeanour. And it's not only the fact that we had two pretty significant rain showers at either end of this race he had to overcome. It's not that he lost the lead and had to recover it. And he was so much faster than Sergio Perez in the middle of the race that... You know, Perez had 15 seconds on him at one point. He eliminated that to pretty much two in about 10 laps or even less. It was the fact that you've got to consider the amount of pressure any driver must feel. Even a driver like Max, who doesn't ever seem to feel any pressure, at a home race like this. It's not even like other home races we see in Formula 1, like the British Grand Prix for Lewis or even Daniel Ricciardo in Australia. The atmosphere in the Netherlands, and I was there last year, is just on another level. It's like a perpetual daylight rave. It's sort of out of control at some points. The Dutch royal family was there. Politicians were there. His family was there. It's just such a cauldron-like atmosphere. For him to do the business as he did faultlessly, completely flawlessly throughout the weekend, and then on top of that, dealing with the rain, dealing with the fact he is going for nine in a row, dealing with the fact that the focus is slowly changing inside Red Bull Racing, I think, to start think about the, the fact that they could go the season undefeated, which suddenly means any small slip-up in the first half of the year, no one would have really cared because he would have scored good points and the championship's done. Now, actually, kind of perversely, there is something much bigger on the line. To be faultless in that circumstance is really quite remarkable, and I think this was one of the races where you can really look back and say, wow, Max is just doing an incredible job. Helmut Marko says he's, there's no doubt he's one of the greatest of all time. That conversation will come eventually, but you know, he's going to be a three-time world champion and there aren't very many of those. So that sort of on its own justifies that argument to a certain extent. It was just a really powerful demonstration of everything we're going to be talking about in summary of this season and the way Max has dominated it. Not every race demonstrates all of those things, but this one certainly did. What about the rest of the podium? It was a bit of a different looking one 
in terms of what we've seen in 2023. Fernando Alonso, he was very happy about finishing in second position and Pierre Gasly in third. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different one. Fernando Alonso is back on the podium now after a two-month break. At the start of the year, you know, you and I were talking, it seemed like he was on the podium every race yeah. and that was just going to be the year. Aston Martin kind of tailed off. They took some development directions they think were wrong. They brought a, an update that they think has rectified that this weekend. It, not the perfect weekend to judge, I suppose, but you know, to get second and he qualified relatively competitively, so signs are good. And it was a bit of a classic Fernando drive. Started fifth, made two really muscular overtakes on the first lap, and that kind of set him up to inherit second place once Sergio Perez slid off the road in the wet. So that in itself is positive for Aston Martin, not a total outlier, though. But Pierre Gasly is a very random inclusion on the part has... I mean, they've had one podium up until this point, Esteban Ocon in Monaco. Monaco is a bit of an unusual track, as we all know. And Gasly did get into the top three in the sprint in Spa, but that was also pretty wacky conditions with the weather there. This weekend, it was much more earned, more importantly for Alpine through execution. The car was not a, a top three car, but they really nailed the timing of their pit stops, particularly when the rain arrived in the first lap as it was. He pitted first on intermediates at exactly the right time and then back on the slicks at exactly the right time and judged the strategy really well from there. He started outside of the top 10 and rose up to fourth before the red flag at the end of the race and then inherited the place fundamentally from Sergio Perez and his penalty. So I think the heartening thing from this isn't that Alpine is suddenly a, even a regular points-contending car because they are still, I think, sixth behind the top five teams, obviously. It's the fact that after all the tumultuousness off track for this team, they executed really well, which is something we haven't been able to say at probably most races for Alpine. But coming back from the summer break, having sacked the team principal and the sporting director at the last race before the break, they've at least shown that there's some, some good fight there, that the, the bones that are left are, are still really capable, as we all know, it is a long-standing team, but needed a really good steadying result, and they got that with Pierre Gasly. Oscar Piastri, what did you make of his race? It was... Uh... A little difficult towards the end there, uh, finishing in ninth position. So he still grabs a couple of points. Yeah, it was a, it was a funny one for him because he was one of a handful of drivers, five it was in fact, that did not stop for wet tyres when the rain arrived at the start. Now, Lando Norris criticised the team for stopping him too late for wet tyres. And the right strategy was to stop early at the end of the first lap, as Sergio Perez did. That, that's clear. But they left Piastri out on slicks. And I found that really interesting. One, because it was really... It was a gutsy move. It was very wet at the start. Second, that Piastri handled it beautifully, didn't go off the track, kept the pace well, as competitive as it could be in the wet. And then after about six or seven laps, when the race started to swing back towards the dry runners, he was comfortably the fastest driver on the track. He was setting fastest lap after fastest lap. Yes, right tyres, right time, but other drivers were on the right tyres at that time as well and weren't as quick as him. And was actually looking good to probably finish, I've got to go back and have a look at the numbers, but potentially top five, mm. but then locked up, unfortunately. And this flurry of flying lights locked up, ruined a set of tyres, had to stop. And that's actually what kind of undid his race. Mm. It would have been really interesting to see where he would have finished uh, had he not done that, because Alex Albon finished, he would have finished definitely ahead of Alex Albon, who was, who was eighth, I think, from memory, probably by a couple of places. In the end, as you said, finished ninth. So still some points was reasonable, but this, I think, could have been a much better result for what was probably an understatedly good race, but for one mistake for him. Anything else uh, before we do let you go, Michael? Anything else of note from the weekend? 
Interesting comment from Helmut Marko. We mentioned a couple of times already in the lead up to this race, which was that yes, Sergio Perez has a contract for next year, but he has to perform to warrant it to be used fundamentally. He's speaking to German media, I think it was. Just a little bit unusual because the team spent the last sort of month, particularly since Daniel Ricciardo came back into the car and this became a story saying Sergio Perez is on the contract, he is our driver next year, there's no question of Daniel getting in the car next year. And then Howard Marco randomly comes out with this comment ahead of this race. Now, this was made before Daniel broke his hand. It does feel like Sergio Perez will be in the car next year, if not just because Daniel's going to get much less of an opportunity to prove that he can make the difference. Uh, Christian Horner also said after the race that, yes, he's under contract and he will be a Red Bull driver next year. But I just find that a little bit interesting. Maybe it ends up being nothing. Helmut Marco sometimes just kind of shoot off his mouth, if you like, just sort of says what he likes. But he's also the guy who has a lot of decision-making power. So if we do get to the end of the year and suddenly there's a driver change... Maybe we won't be quite as surprised as we would have been after, as I said, months of the team insisting it was Sergio Perez's seat. Michael, a pleasure as always. Thank you very much for jumping on the show today. Uh, and we look forward to the Italian Grand Prix. Thank you, mate. Anytime.